Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Job chapter 28. Job chapter 28, and we'll also be looking at Job chapter 38. So put your finger in 28 and then go find 38 and then come back to uh, 28. Job is a wisdom book. It deals with wisdom in a different way, though. Proverbs give you, gives you good old-fashioned wisdom. It tells you how to live a productive life in the most down-to-earth way. But Job and Ecclesiastes deal with wisdom on a different level. It looks at the world through the eyes of someone for whom good old-fashioned wisdom didn't work out, or someone who tried to go beyond down-to-earth, something like that. Look at this phrase from Ecclesiastes. This is chapter 1, verse 18. For as my wisdom increased, so did my vexation. As my knowledge grew, so did my pain. In Job chapter 28, Job, or so some say the narrator, talks about how hard it is to find wisdom. It's like the precious stones that people search for in movies. Can you find it? It's powerful, it's desirable, but can you really find it? So the writer of Job chapter 28 is asking the question, what we're looking for, can it even be found? Let's pray and then let's let's read our passage. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask that you give us wisdom. Help us to see that it can be found, that it's in you. Help us, Lord, to grasp onto it. Help us to understand uh, that trusting you is more important than understanding everything, though. We thank you for your word and what it teaches us. Holy Spirit, please be our teacher today. In Jesus' name, amen. Job chapter 28, verse 1. There's a place where silver is mined, a place where gold is refined. There, iron is dug from the earth, and copper is smelted from ore. Humans put an end to darkness and search in every last corner for the ore that is in gloom and in darkness. So think of a, a person going down a, a mine shaft. In the earth, they cut a shaft. In a place forgotten, far from the beaten path, they descend on ropes, swinging dangerously back and forth. The ground above yields food. The earth below is turned as if fire has destroyed it. Where earth gives up sapphires from her rocks and bits of gold from her dirt. No bird of prey knows this way, this secret path down below. No falcon's eye has ever peered into it. No proud beast has ever reached this place. No lordly lion has marched over it. The miner breaks apart flinty stone, uprooting the ancient mountains. He carves tunnels through the rock, revealing precious treasures. He dams up the underground streams until they cease seeping, and he brings out into the light what was hidden there in the darkness. But where is wisdom found, and where does understanding dwell? So you see here the, the writer is saying it's easier to find sapphires, to find diamonds, to find gold than it is to find wisdom. We all want life to be meaningful. And when suffering comes, we want it to have meaning and we want to understand. But Job does not understand and his friends do not understand. So their, underst their misunderstanding has led to accusation. Job's friends have accused him of committing a sin deserving of this punishment. Job has accused God of punishing him or uh, unjustly or being too distant to give him an answer. Job wants God to show up and tell him what's going on. But if you've ever read the Old Testament, 
You know that every time God shows up, people cower in fear and people believe they will die because they have seen God. God's presence is too holy for us to stand in. Well, God is about to show up in the book of Job. After 30 chapters of Job and his friends debating, and after Elihu chides them for all not winning the debate against Job, God shows up in a whirlwind. And what do you think God has to say? Will he tell Job what is going on? Will he tell Job why all this has happened? Will he offer them a plausible reason for all the chaos? No. He won't do anything of the sort. If you were reading the book of Job and search for an answer, you'd be very disappointed in God here. If you want definitive answers from God about what's happening in your own life, often you'll be disappointed. It's not because God doesn't know, and it's not because he doesn't care. It's because you couldn't understand because you don't have his wisdom or his eternal perspective. Let's read a little from God's response to Job. This is Job chapter 38, verse 1. Out of the raging storm, the Eternal One answered Job. And he said, Who is this that darkens counsel? Who covers over sound instruction with empty words void of knowledge? Now prepare yourself and gather your courage like a warrior. Prepare yourself for the task at hand. I'll be asking the questions now. You will supply the answers. Where were you when I dug and laid the foundation of the earth? And these questions, like this first question here, where were you when I dug the foundation of the earth? These questions continue for four chapters. And you should go ahead and read all four of those chapters and look at all of them, look at all of those questions. And we're going to read a few more snippets of God's response. But before we do that, I think I need to show you why God asks these particular questions. Because sometimes they, they seem ir- irrelevant or maybe you... You think, well, is God just trying to stonewall here? I I don't know what's going on. God is going to ask Job a series of questions, and these are all unanswerable questions for Job. For us now, some of these questions are more answerable, but for Job, he didn't have the capability to answer any of these things. So God asks, asks him, how does the universe work? And Job can't answer. And that's how he was humbled before God. And God would ask you a similar set of questions that you couldn't answer, and in fact, nobody can answer. He'll ask Job's about the nesting habits of birds or the lives of wild mountain goats. Job can't answer these, but because of National Geographic, we can. However, there are still plenty of natural world mysteries out there. But I want to take you, uh, I, I want to want you to notice something here, that God is going to ask Job according to certain realms, Okay. Uh, to certain realms. What he's going to ask Job, he's going to ask Job a lot about things that happen um, among wild animals. He'll ask him about the weather above. He'll ask him about the earth and the sky and the sea. But you'll notice he'll never ask him about a domesticated animal because they were completely known and understood to Job. So he never asks him about chickens. He never asks him about dairy cows. He never asks him about sheep and goats, but he will ask about the wild goat, because the wild goat, that's, well, that's, that's something that Job doesn't completely understand. So he's asking Job a series of questions for which Job cannot answer. He'll ask about the sun and moon. He asks Job, how, how do these things work? And Job can't answer. And for us, so many of these realms are very well understood now, but for Job, they were complete mysteries, especially the weather. 
But remember, we still study all of these things, and we still have questions about them because they are still a bit mysterious to us. And nobody has closed the book on the study of any of them. The weather, still quite mysterious. Uh, meteorologists still don't understand necessarily how tornadoes work. Uh, they still don't uh, very accurately uh, forecast the weather. They do their best and they're getting better all the time, but it's still pretty mysterious. The sun and the moon are still studied. There are still satellites going up to uh, map and to describe and to uh, try to get more data about them. Wild animals are still studied. And a few are so elusive that we don't know much about them. And we still uh, really haven't figured out all of the oceans. Did you know that we went to the moon before we went to the bottom of the ocean? We have the, the moon better mapped than the ocean floor. The study of the universe is endless. And the more questions we answer, the more questions we have. Once one mystery is solved, the solution to that mystery then becomes the next mystery. What, what is matter made of? Atoms, you know, it used to be just sort of be earth, wind, and fire. You know, these were the, uh, or and wood. You know, the, there were these elements. They're very simple elements. This simple understanding. But uh, when people started really tearing things apart and saying, "Hey, what's it made of? What's it made of? What's it made of?" Uh, well, we got down to atoms. Okay, atoms. Well, that's uh, that's that's the smallest uh, building block, right? That's the smallest uh, piece of matter out there. Well, no, actually, we found out after we split the atom. That it's not. Uh, so what are atoms made of? Well, they're made of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Okay, good. Mystery solved. No. What are those made of? Those are made out of quarks and neutrinos. And what are those made out of? And on and on and on until the Higgs boson. And then I'm sure we'll wonder what it's made of. But Job, for Job, that search for knowledge, it was just as keen as ours, but the limits of what he had um, was more extensive than ours, too. If the natural world is too difficult for us to fully understand, then how could we possibly ever understand the supernatural world? And to that point, God next brings up a couple of huge beasts. Okay, so the sort of the crescendo of his questioning of Job comes up the, to these two huge beasts, Behemoth and Leviathan. And among theologians today, there's still a debate about what these beasts are. Some think they are natural, some think they're supernatural, others think that they're extinct. Um, the descriptions don't really fit any of those explanations very well. Uh, so not the natural or the supernatural, and they don't quite fit anything living or extinct either. So what are they? Uh, the truth of what they are can be debated, but what they symbolize in God's discussion is the most important thing to point out. What they are are terrifying creatures to Job, but they're God's lapdogs. The word behemoth means beast. It just simply means beast. And it is a land beast. And it is a fierce beast. Uh, fierce beast, yet it's not a carnivore. A carnivore. It is something Job definitely would have feared, though. It is wild. It is untamable. And it can't be killed. And yet God just kind of leads him around on a leash. That's what the scriptures say. And the Leviathan is like it. But it dwells in the sea. The Leviathan is more understandable and terrifying to us than the behemoth, I think. We still have tales of sea creatures. But think of being an ancient sailor. Uh, maybe not even that ancient. You go out on your boat. You see the head of a shark come out of the water. It's terrible looking with its razor sharp teeth. It eats other fish, seals, or even people. But you never see the whole thing. 
Then you see a whale's tail come out of the water, and it's huge. Then you see giant squid tentacles washed up on the shore, and it's the ugliest thing you've ever seen. It wouldn't take long to put all those things together and make a leviathan or a kraken or something like that. And any time a boat goes out on the water in good weather and doesn't come home, you would immediately assume the leviathan got them. If it wasn't a storm, if there wasn't any other natural explanation for it, you would just say, the Leviathan got him. And please don't think that I'm trying to minimize or fully explain the flawed ideas of these ancient simpletons. I actually respect their understanding of the natural natural world. And we aren't smarter or more mature than they are. We just have more information. National Geographic has done a good job of making us comfortable with fierce things in our living room. Uh, go to a zoo or an aquarium and you see them up close, you may be scared of a shark again. Um, but when our information runs out, the fact is we do the same thing that they did. We come up with outrageous ideas also to explain things that don't make sense to us. Remember when the Malaysian airliner disappeared? Didn't seem like engine trouble, didn't seem like terrorism. We couldn't find the beacon signal. It just vanished. And very intelligent, well-educated people got on national TV and seriously tried to tell us all that aliens got them. So you see, when the natural can't explain something, we are still very quick to jump to something supernatural or mythical or pseudoscience. Most of us have had our minds jump to some pretty far-fetched conclusions, too. And God doesn't just look at Job and say, You believe in the behemoth and a leviathan? What naivete! No, instead he talks about these creatures that I think Job has probably never seen and says, the greatest fear that people have are these beasts and I treat them like pets. They don't scare me. They might scare you, but they don't scare me. I made them and they are totally under my control. You can't domesticate a hippo, but I can domesticate a brontosaurus or a tyrannosaurus rex or a dragon or a woolly mammoth or a saber-toothed tiger. They don't challenge me. God's point in all this is to say to Job, I could try to tell you the why of it all, but you wouldn't understand. You don't need answers, Job. You need to trust me. I've just revealed to you that you don't understand the natural world, so how could you understand the supernatural world? You don't need more information either. Information runs out. If you don't know everything at some point, no matter how smart you are, you're still going to have to trust me. So trust me now. And I think for all of us, at some point, our information runs out. Our wisdom runs out. Our intelligence runs out. Even our theology runs out. And when everything runs out, what are you going to lean on? Lean on God. Lean on Him from the beginning. And you won't have to go through the mental, emotional exercises that Job has just had to go through in all these chapters. Lean on Him and you won't have to beat yourself up for not understanding I think it's good for us to challenge our understanding of the natural and supernatural for the purpose of growing in knowledge, but let's always remember that at some point we'll come to the end of our knowledge and still have to trust God no matter what. He will push you to that point. Why? Because it's the point of salvation. You aren't saved by knowledge, by wisdom, or by arguing, by winning a debate. You're saved by trusting the Savior. Trust is the key. Faith is the key. Trust is the point. Knowledge, it gets updated from time to time. Wisdom is refined. Trust and faith are from the beginning to the end.
Let's learn to trust. It's the best learning that there is. Heavenly Father, we love you and we ask that you teach us to trust. Help us always be growing in knowledge and in wisdom and in understanding. But Lord, help us to always know that we will come to the end of our limitations often. And when we do that, Lord, remind us just to trust, just to believe, just to have faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.